Welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Liz Kelly. Make sure to subscribe to the Ringer's YouTube channel to watch the newest episode of Slow News Day with Kevin Clark, featuring NFL MVP Lamar Jackson. And in anticipation of the NBA's return in late July, NBA Desktop with Jason Concepcion is back to posting weekly episodes. Also up on our YouTube channel are the best clips taken from this week's Bill Simmons podcast, Rewatchables, and Higher Learning with Rachel Lindsay and Van Lathan. You can find all these videos at youtube.com slash The Ringer. Thing is, thing, what happened, happened, you know what I mean? Push come to shop. I mean, I've been fed to him, ain't I? You've been fed. Too fed. Damn it! You want us to dance with a grand jury, we will. What do you say, Johnny? What do you say, any question? Even motherfuckers take everything, don't they? See, nigga, ain't that what the fuck I just said? So in the spirit, man, of this episode, uh, we are in season two, episode five, being called The Undertow. Me being somebody who makes their living with words, I wanted to make sure that I got the exact definition of what undertow was and that definition according to uh dictionary.com uh i don't even know if people use webster's anymore do they is webster still a thing you mean like emmanuel lewis <laughs> no webster's dictionary uh, right <laughs> uh, uh no I, I like i use i just go on i just go on the internet and just type it in and, and just, then it just tells and just me type it <laughs> yeah what have we become man what have we become i remember in every household um Encyclopedias, dictionaries, and thesauruses were a staple. World book encyclopedias got oh, a new set. Oh, that world book. Oh, Shout out man. to my Uncle Marvin. Got a new set of world book encyclopedias every year until I was 19. Every year until I was 19. World book encyclopedias. So shout out to Uncle Marvin. He got that. He, man, he, he these kids that these days, they will never know the tragedy of having to search up something in an encyclopedia. We'll never nope. know. Or yep. use the Dewey Decimal System. They the Dewey know. Decimal System in the they library. I used to love Dewey. That was my guy. That was my guy. Yeah, like it was so fun to learn about how to look up stuff. The Dewey Decimal System, or last thing we'll say the memory lane. But like after you got into the, like the eleventh or twelfth grade, and you had to uh, to uh, to do like research projects, having to go on the microfilm. And look mm. up old articles and stuff like that in the library at LSU. Yes. And just all the of that. The microfiche. Yeah. yeah. Those was Crazy. the days. But Those I'm happy the they're gone. I'm happy they're right. gone. But, I, but it, it toughened me up, but I'm happy that they're gone. Um, nevertheless, the definition of undertow is any strong current below the surface of a body of water moving in a direction different from that of the surface current. So when you put into context what the actual word undertow means. And then you take that and apply it to what we see in this episode of The Wire. You can see a lot of currents moving against the direction that they are supposed to be going. Uh, what were some of your main takeaways from episode five here in season two? Seems to be a lot to do with trust. Seems to have a lot to do with people trying to discern who they could trust Trust being broken, trust being established. I have a couple of different examples of that. Uh, number one, BD decides that she needs a snitch. She is learning on the job how to be a competent police officer from the best. She's learning from debunk. And so uh, when she's told that she needs a CI, she doesn't have any informants. 
on the docks. They have no information. She decides that she is going to go and use one of the dock workers um, as her informant, but she has to go to somebody that she has a prior relationship with. By the way, and I did not remember that detail. I did not remember did. that her and Mal used to get mm-hmm. down like that. So that yep. was an interesting relearn. They had a sexual relationship. S-E-C-K <laughs> sexual. Uh, and so she goes and to somebody that she trusts. And we also see Donette talking to D'Angelo um, inside of prison. Uh, she goes to visit him. She's trying to make sure that he stays uh, with the Barksdale organization. What struck me about that particular scene is that as she's making the plea to him, saying that they're doing all of these things, he fundamentally doesn't trust her. So he's tuning her out the entire scene and looking at his son. There's nothing that that woman can say to make him believe uh, that anyone that she's saying has his best interest at heart actually has him at heart because he uh, is just out of sorts with her and out of sorts with his uncle. That's another relationship. Um, Stringer and Bodie, once again, take another step towards building their little weird father-son type of deal. Bodie stands out. Some trust is built there. Um, Imagining them as a father and son is kind of scary. It is. <laughs> it's kind that's kind of like it's kind of like they got like a father son relationship. Yeah, that's what's developing. Bodie earns Stringer's trust a little bit. They kind of establish something, and it's all based around people finding out who they can rely on, who they can trust, who they can confide in, and how that's going to move the story along. But people are establishing uh, relationships, kind of in this episode. Yeah, I, I mean, I took it. Uh, uh, I noted. You know, so that, that those trust issues that you alluded to here, but also again, in in, in thinking of what the theme of the episode is, uh, it, it was really interesting because you have, um, like you brought up D'Angelo and and Donetta finally going to see him in jail. Uh, D'Angelo has made a very active choice to go against his uncle and go against the Barksdale uh, organization, so he is swimming in a different direction. Uh, you have Nikki, who is becoming more empowered and emboldened by necessity to a large degree. And so he is kind of going, um, he is definitely making an active choice to go against his uncle uh, yeah. by finding out what these chemicals are about. I mean, Ziggy originally made that choice. B- Ziggy basically made that choice for them. For him, because, yeah. Yeah, because of this business uh, that he has going on with Cheese and his poor attempts to be a drug dealer. A drug dealer. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, poor is probably putting it mildly because he's, uh, uh, you know, he's a complete idiot. So that's probably, right. you know, putting he's it as mild. good of a drug dealer as he is a character on the show. And uh, Daniel's going against what would be um, the current of what usually happens when somebody violates the chain of command as Carver did. And he decides that he's going to let him be a part of this new detail, even though uh, he has um, proven to be untrustworthy. Right. And so mm-hmm. to your point, this is Daniel's giving him another opportunity to be trustworthy, to figure out is Carver somebody that he can rely on. And, um, and and what is going to be a tremendous setup or what is going to be a tremendous payoff, rather, the setup of, uh, of the decision to put Omar on the stand um, oh, yeah. as, he, as he preps for trial is oh, yeah. definitely going against the current because nobody oh, yeah. would think to put somebody whose business is to rob and sometimes occasionally murder drug dealers right. as a credible witness to figure out 
um, or to at least try to solve a uh, uh, get justice for another murder by somebody in that mm-hmm. profession. Profession. So you have a lot of people um, who are going against conventional wisdom or what is conventional wisdom based off what they do uh, to try to achieve a, a end result. I don't know how many in BD's case. Uh, how many people go to their ex-lovers <laughs> for and use them as a CI? That seemed a little bit uh, unconventional, but nevertheless, uh, desperate times call for desperate call for measures. Desperate measures. Fresh tactics. Desperate times. Desperate times call for desperate measures. <laughs> exactly. All right. So here's a brief recap of what went down in in the undertow. So the band is completely, basically completely back together, minus one, the one being McNulty. Uh, Freeman learns that he is now assigned to Daniel's detail. Uh, as I just mentioned a moment ago, Carver is asked by Daniels to join the detail, despite the fact that he was the CI for Purell Burrell uh, before. And through that, Freeman clues them in that they were already looking into Sabaka in connection with the dead girls that were found in the can on the docks. Ziggy's stupidity creates a big problem that leads to the Sabakas getting deeper in with the Greeks, specifically Nikki. Uh, Avon and Stringer, they also have to problem solve around the fact that they have a shitty package and they desperately are searching for ways to hold on to the towers despite having said shitty package. Uh, BD works... A confidential informant, as you just mentioned, an ex-lover who helps to unearth a small breakthrough in the case. Um, Technology is, to some degree, at the center of every um, season of The Wire. And this one, you get the, uh, they are building toward the point that computers will play a large role in this particular season of The Wire. All right, with that being said... Since we're just discussing Beatty, uh, let's talk about her and do a deep dive into who Miss Beatty really is. <laughs> um, what is what are some of the impressions that you have of Beatty thus far? I think that her awakening on the docks, uh, she acts. I say this a lot, but she acts as sort of an avatar for the audience. Um, when we first see the docks, we see kind of the corruption that's going on, but it still seems like. Um, a less dangerous place than West Baltimore. Uh, it seems like it's not quite the same level of criminality going on. It seems as if, you know, people aren't dying the same way. Crime is not taking place the same way. Everything that we got uh, in West Baltimore was so overt. You know, there were, there were all the things that you typically associate um, with the seedy underbelly of society. There were strip clubs and there were guns and there were there was violence and there were all of these things we're looking at a different sort of crime now crime by working men crime uh by guys that that go back home to what we would consider to be regular nuclear families um and there's a tendency sometimes when you see that type of crime it's not white collar but i guess it's white neck uh, because it's a different group of people uh, that are uh, uh, that are committing it. When you see that type of crime, it's it's typical to sometimes excuse it or look at it in a different way. Um, in this particular case, I think the human toll with the with the fourteen dead girls, it's kind of the thing that separates uh, what goes on in the port from just us looking at it as. A couple of working men who are cutting some corners and all in, in order to uh you know make a living for their families. It's funny because in, in Goodfellas, 
Karen's character says that. She goes, after a while of being with Henry Hill, she actually respected him because she looks at him as a working class Irish Italian guy. And of course, he's got to cut a couple of corners in order to make a living for his family. Never mind if somebody gets their fucking head blown off or gets their kneecaps uh, taken out or something like that. This is what they got to do. That tends to be looked at a little bit different than the crime that goes on in West Baltimore. Those people are animals who have descended into a world of criminal criminality uh, because they don't offer society anything more. In this particular case in the ports, um, it, it, it seems as if we're programmed to look at it differently. Through the character of Beatty, we start to get the realizations of how bad things are there. She knew Frank Sabaka. She knows Horseface. She knows Nikki. She doesn't know that these guys are capable of being involved in anything that would lead to the deaths of 14 people. Now, I'm not saying that these guys wanted those girls to die or that they would have uh, uh, they would have uh, wished that to happen or not stopped it if they knew it was happening. What I am saying is that they are responsible for it. Nonetheless, part of what they're doing killed those women. And that's a fact mm-hmm that they have to come to terms with and will come to terms with this particular season. But through her, we start to see her mind open to what the guys that she always knew are capable of. And also about how she, in a way, uh, was complicit in that for not being better at her job. Her job was to be a police. Her job was to go around there and make sure things were going right. What she learns throughout this season, what she's learning from Bunk about investigative tactics, what she's learning from other people as she information gathers, is that she hasn't been being police. Mm -hmm. She hasn't been doing her part. And in order to do her part, not only is she going to have to give more effort, she's going to have to look at things on the docks in a different way fundamentally. And that's kind of what this season is asking the audience to do. This season is asking the audience to put a little bit more effort into seeing these guys as the, the, the group that we saw last season in season one, number one. And it's also asking um, for us to like do a little bit more to understand what makes people descend into the world of criminality. Because these guys don't seem like the skullcap-wearing, glock-toting, drug-slaying criminals that you know before. These are the guys that America has told you are are pretty much okay. So I think a lot of those realizations for the audience um, come from her understanding what sort of world she's in. And throughout this season, as she gets deeper and deeper and deeper into the case, she starts to understand more what she has to do and what world she's actually in. Well, it's um, when you look at all the detectives, uh, even though they're all different, there is a certain commonality to why they became police, why they became detectives. And and, right. and with her, it's different because she's the one who did it for the money. She did it for a bump and pay to try to help support her kids because they have been sure. abandoned by her, fa- by her father. Right. Which is to uh, some degree is a unique or interesting choice to make that that of all things would be what you would do. Um, you know, to to earn some extra money or earn some money, period. Um, she went into this with the idea that this was going to be an easy job. She came in not just with low expectations. She came in with the intention, let's be honest, of not really having to do any work, with not really having to do any actual policing. That was her intention. 
she would have never joined the Western or the Eastern or any place like that where she actually thought real police work had to be done. Yes. It, it, it just wouldn't have made any sense for her. Great and point. Especially, Great point. Yeah. Um, given her lifestyle and being a mother of two kids, she's not trying to put herself in the most dangerous situation. But nevertheless, there is something about her naivety and the fact that she's not as hardened as the rest of them that adds a different and unique and I think necessary dimension um, to the character breakdowns is, uh, you know, when she just has little lines throughout, like I think in the previous episode, when she said to McNulty, like, oh, you didn't do this because you cared about the dead girls. You did this to get back at your boss. Like she's generally stunned at that. And I think she is a great conduit and a great window that they can look at themselves and realize like, wow, I've been on this job a really long time. Maybe I am a little fucked up. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? Cause she reminds yeah. them like she is the one. Cause to some degree, um, not to some degree, to a large degree throughout the series, their behaviors are normalized. Um, you know, they are, they are really, really normalized. Like it's their police brutality is normalized. Fudging, uh, you know, witness testimony and doing all this stuff, it has been totally normalized, right? And she's the one person that's been like, you know, you, you know this shit ain't normal, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you right. know, you're not supposed to do this, right? Right. Okay. She's us. Like, they talking about lying on stats to bring the crime numbers down and we like, y'all ain't supposed to be lying y'all on the stats. Y'all that. the police. <laughs> right. Right. So, um, she has a level of awareness, empathy, and compassion that is just different. BD, in many ways, what makes her character, I think, work and particularly makes it work in the series is she's still a civilian despite the, yeah. the uniform. She is very much, think she very much thinks like a civilian, acts like a civilian. And so what we see over the course of this season, because um, she's kind of peppered throughout for the rest of the series, is them trying to bring her along and indoctrinate her into their world. It's like they're they're trying to, if they were a gang, it's like they're trying to jump her in, but she's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know if I'm fully invested. I'm invested in finding out what happened to these girls, but I don't know if I'm trying to take this police culture that goes along with it. So in many ways, you applaud her for um, still kind of holding her integrity dear, though at the same time also realizing that if she's going to do this, if she's going to, ramp up the excitement in her life and be a part of something real, it's going to require her to get a little bit of dirt on her shoulders. And yeah, I mean, that type of commitment is a central theme in the show. Yes. Like, that that's the same type of commitment that Stringer asked Bodie uh, to, to participate in when he was killing Wallace. Yeah. It's the, it's the same type of commitment that Avon asked D'Angelo for when uh, he got caught with the drugs. This is part of the game. It's the same type of commitment that Lester Freeman and Kima asked Chardine for um, after she realized her friend. The Wire is a show that that asks its characters to go all the way, to get all the way in. And it kind of shows you what happens to people that aren't willing to get all the way in. And the fantastic point, this is kind of beady uh, trying to basically get all the way in or attempting to understand what it means to get all the way in. And to your point, she never really quite does. No, she doesn't. Um, but she gets in it just enough that I think adds some spice to to what she's doing. And um, not for nothing, just on a purely basic, basic professional le- level, 
I think one of the joys of seeing her character arc is seeing how she does become a real detective, you know, Mm -hmm. um, maybe not uh, officially given that title um, in the show. But you see, when you think about where she started to where she kind of ends up just as a civil servant, as a as a working police officer, it's kind of a remarkable transition. But she also, you know, kind of shows that being becoming a good detective or becoming somebody who uh, becomes better at law enforcement doesn't have to necessarily involve you uh, completely sacrificing and compromising your integrity as they all kind of have to some degree and been doing it for so slowly and so consistently over the year, they, years, they don't even realize when it's gone. And right. so she's an interesting kind of breath of fresh air, if you will, to bring to the overall theme of what police culture is really about that, that Simon seems to be so wrapped up in. Yeah. Another great part of this episode is watching Carr and Daniel's talk. We'll talk about our favorite scenes a little bit later. And watching the makings of Carver and how Daniels is an expert boss. Daniels is not just the best boss in the history of the wire. He's an expert level boss. He's so you think ex- wait, you think you think he's the best boss in the history. Oh, we I think we had this discussion. Yeah. You put we it did. On Daniels. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Daniels, Daniels is the best boss in the show, but he's also an expert boss because he understands how to get what he's a Pat Riley type of figure. The reason why I I look at Pat Riley as the type of coach that he was, um, Phil Jackson in the same vein, is I'm not talking about X's and O guys necessarily like uh, Pop or some of these other offensive gurus. They can do all that, um, but they knew how to get what they needed from people. And they also knew how to add bricks and take bricks away from people. Um, to make them into the vision of winning and to the vision of success that they needed them to be. And so Daniels does that, right? Daniels does that with Carve. Daniels sees that Carve crossed him, takes a little bit from him, says, listen, I'm taking these, th- th- these, these stripes really away from you, but I'm giving you the detail back. I'm building the version of you that I need you to be. Uh, that happens with Beatty, except it's the situation that kind of builds her. She starts, she takes a little bit from Bunk. She takes a little bit from McNulty. She takes a little bit from all of these people to be the version of police that she wants to be. But she's also not willing to be or not willing to go uh, to some of the levels that those guys are willing to go to. It's a very human look at the policing. Remember, we talked about the fact that Kima was probably the best and most, uh, I guess, naturally altruistic police officer that The Wire has. Uh, Beatty's the most human. She's the most human of all the police. She's the most human. She's the one that's looking at this world and as she seeks deeper and deeper and deeper into it, going, fuck, what the fuck am I involved in? Who are these people? Who are these people, not just from the dock side, but who are these police officers that are going out and, and, uh, and using the deaths of 14 people in order to get back at other people? Like, what did I get myself into? And that's kind of one of the central questions of the show. One of the central questions of the show is, look how deep the rabbit hole goes. And she is crawling down the rabbit hole in this season. Very important character. Yeah, extremely important. And her character is um, not just important for for how it helps you put in perspective what police culture is about. It's very important to the development of Mr. McNulty. And I'm just going to leave it there since 
uh, I find it interesting, uh, and I, I've seen you address this in a few tweets, that we both we get accused of alternately giving away too much and not giving away enough. So, y'all, hey, I don't know what the balance is. <laughs> we love the listeners of Way Down in the Hole. It has taken over my Twitter feed. We're talking about Way Down in the Hole. But y'all, <laughs> we're going to give you guys the opportunity. Either y'all want spoilers or you don't. Some people are like, yo, Vance, spoil that shit, dog. We want the whole ball of wax. We want the whole conversation. Other people are like, yo, I just started watching. You're spoiling everything. I hate <laughs> right. you, Van. So, like, I, I, don't know where to, I don't know where to be. The show is 20 years old. It's 20 years old. What, like, you know, there is you no want, spoiler you, alert when it's 20 years old. Yeah, I don't, you don't want me to spoil the sixth sense for you? But we are respecting the viewers of The Wire. We are trying to do our best. Um, to maintain the kinetic energy of the show and not spoil too much. Just, I just wanted to get that off my chest. <laughs> Good. Um, and, and you speak for both of us in that regard. It's like, I don't know. I don't know exactly what to spoil. But so moving on to who we get introduced in, uh, who we briefly considered. Um, but this character, because he's just in the beginning stages, you're just introducing him. Method Man. That's the main person we get introduced to in this episode. Mr. Cheese Wagstaff. Please pay attention to that last name because yeah. it becomes of vital importance later on. But we are getting our first introduction to Cheese. And if you thought uh, in this episode that Cheese, man, that guy seems like an asshole. You were correct. You really call this shit money, man. Please take it easy. I'm working on it. But my people, you know. What the fuck you think this is, huh, man? What, what, what? Oh, oh, oh. You think this supposed to get played some other way? Huh? Is that what you think, man? So as we talked before about who are the most reprehensible characters uh, on The Wire, and I don't want to get too much into Cheese because I think we'll do a, a, a thorough aut autopsy on him a little bit later. But just know he is firmly in the running for worst, most reprehensible character in The Wire's history. Firmly in the running. At the, at the end of this show, we're going to give... The Joffrey Ramsey Bolden Award for worst <laughs> character in wire history. At the end of the show, that's going to be the name of the award. <clears throat> I just yes. thought about this. Please write the that Joffrey, down. The Joffrey Ramsey Bolden Award for worst character in wire history. Now, I don't know why. Now, between it, those two, between those two, Joffrey and Ramsey, who did you actually think was the worst? It's a, it's a, it's a tie. No, it's not. It, it is yes, not it is. a tie. It's, no. it's a tie. I, I, I don't care. Look, God damn it. Joffrey was way in the lead. And then Ramsey, like, uh, like Ramsey caught up, dog. Like, it, it, it's like, it, it's a, you can't pick one. It's a, it's a tie, man. It's Who not a tie it because Ramsey, Ramsey easily surpassed Joffrey. Easily. I don't think, I don't think he did. No, because see, did. Joffrey, Joffrey very much, he was a spoiled, entitled brat, okay? Considering who his mother was, not a shock, right? Not a shock at all. Uh -huh. Ramsey, for a moment, had you thinking he was actually a respectable person. And he was much more sadistic, much more vile, much more evil than I think Joffrey was. Joffrey was just petulant and kind of dumb. Joffrey Ooh. hurt people, though. Oh, he did. He remember, like, yeah, it, was he fucking... it was a different kind of hurt, though. Ramsey, uh, it was a, it's, a, it's a little different. Ramsey right. was a complete sociopath. Right. Complete. That, 
Well, listen, I, I, to me, it's a tie. But listen, I, point taken. Agree to disagree. But what I'll say okay. is, do you see how we just talked about those characters? Cheese Wagstaff is going to approach that level so of despicableness. Yes. That's what's going to happen. We agree with on that. We agree on that. And it's and it's so crazy because whenever someone asks me this question, I talked about this on Bill's podcast. I never remember to say cheese, but that's because I've put cheese out of my mind. And that's mm-hmm. the end of what I'm gonna say about cheese. Cheese, shout out to Method Man, one of the most likable MCs of all time. He was acting his ass off because cheese sucks. But <laughs> But yeah, Cheese is going to be one of those characters in the wire. Well, I think the the debate, we we didn't have this debate yet, but I think it's good for when we wrap up this entire season is who was worse, Cheese or Ziggy? And <laughs> I know you got hate in your heart for Ziggy. I know that you do. But I uh, that's kind of a tough one. It's like, like which, which tastes worse, chitlins or casserole? Mm, mm, Both of them. My stomach's hurting. Yeah. Yeah. That's those are two really bad options. That's not a choice. Those are bad <laughs> options. Uh, so let's talk about some of the best scenes in this um, episode. We were talking about Ziggy a second ago. Kind of hard not to bring up what happened with him in his car. Um, yeah. I don't know if it's either it getting burned was a good, was a better scene than him getting it taken. I'm going to say him getting it taken um, was definitely one of the big moments in this. What are some of the others that you had? Number one, the scene where Nikki and his baby mama go to look at the house. Um, That's a scene that shows sort of the pain uh, and the feeling of otherness of the working man in Baltimore. Like he feels other than regular society. That house had been his aunt's house. It's a place that should be familiar to him, but it's been renovated. It's been changed. Uh, The name of the neighborhood has been different. Time has moved on, but those guys that really built the city have not been invited to that party. Mm. They feel something other than what's happening in different parts of Baltimore. Things are changing, but the American working class person is not being taken along with did those Did you notice changes. who the realtor was that showed him the house? I, I did. Uh, 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 Miss McNulty. Mrs. McNulty. Uh, Mrs. McNulty, Jimmy's ex-wife. So um, that, that's a great scene. It just shows you that there's something happening that so many Americans... Uh, don't feel like they're a part of, and that's a central theme to the wire as well. Um, uh, Daniels and Carve is a big time scene. Uh, it's a scene where you understand how much Daniels has learned from his time in the Eastern. He's learned, uh, a, he's a little bit more like Burrell than you think because he uses not only what people are going to do, what he thinks they're going to do, but what they have done um, in order to get loyalty from them in order to put them where he needs to be. Like I kind of said earlier, it just showed his expertise as a boss. And it was a, a very interesting scene to see Carve, who is a newly minted sh- sergeant, um, kind of tuck himself into himself uh, in order to get back onto the detail. I love that scene between those two guys. Um, uh, one and what one- struck me real quick, what struck me about that sure. scene is that, if you recall, um, when he told Carver that he had to, when he when he told Carver that he knew that he was the snitch, that he was the one passing over inter, uh, information from what was going on the, in the detail uh, to uh, Burrell, he challenged him in and said, "At some point, you're gonna have to decide who you're gonna be in this job. Are you gonna be about the work? Or are you gonna be about the bullshit?" 
And right. it was a great full circle moment to see them right. uh, in a scene together because in that moment, it was clear Carver took his words before very seriously and chose to be about the work. See, the obvious mm-hmm. play would have been to just stay where he was and continue to have to do to make the rank. bidding. It, right. Yeah. It, to make to continue to, to to solidify his rank and do the bidding of Alcheck. But he he was making an active choice to be about the work. And I think this is a very transformative moment. Um, yeah. Because because for whatever reason, despite the fact that it was a, a very obvious betrayal, Daniels feels a responsibility to turn Carver into a better leader. And if you think about all the detectives that are under Daniel's purview, he's the only one he has that relationship with. Yeah, and he, he sees something in him. He sees something. This moment does change Carver forever. Not only that, he asks Carver to sacrifice. He says, yo, uh, you're going to get paid like this, but you're taking your orders from Kima. Uh, so it, it's, uh, I love that scene as well. And of course, a scene that I think is the best scene of this particular uh, episode that I never paid en- enough attention to is the scene between Stringer and Avon when uh, String comes to visit Avon in prison. Stringer is talking to Avon about the quality of the dope. Just to let everyone know, the dope in the pit and on, in the towers is shit. They lost Roberto. The connect from Atlanta got trash dope. Uh, people are getting beat up in the pit. Uh, there's a scene where a guy gets his ass kicked uh, because they know that they're not selling anything good. They feel anxious about it. Um, and things aren't buying. So they're frustrated. They beat up one of the guys. The stringer is trying to remedy this situation. He's talking to Avon about the different drugs and stuff like that. And the conversation about different places they can go. Stringer's probably, he, he's angling. He's thinking about other guys in the city that have good drugs. Avon says he's going to handle it. The conversation turns to D'Angelo. You're working it out with D. Boy, got to find his own way. Avon and Stringer agree that Avon has done everything that he can do for D'Angelo. That D'Angelo is out of the box. That while Stringer has some ideas about how to keep D'Angelo in the fold, that Avon essentially washes his hands, not all the way, but he essentially washes his hands of trying to keep D'Angelo in the fold. As I watched this scene again, I could not help but take away from it that Avon unwittingly in that moment ordered D'Angelo's death. He orders the code red. Thing is, thing, what happened, happened, you know what I mean? Push come to shop. I mean, I've been fair to him, ain't I? You've been fair. Too fair. Even though it's something that he didn't do, wouldn't have done, and if if had had been brought up to him, he would have reacted viscerally to it. In that moment, when he sort of says, I've done all I can do, haven't I been fair, haven't I, they lock eyes, Stringer takes some sort of a green light from that. Now, I know all of my spoiler people, I just gave something away, but we cannot talk about the importance of this scene without talking about the fact that, spoiler alert to everyone out there, eventually D'Angelo Barsdale meets his fate. 
But it, it, that scene is the, is probably it's also my father's away for later moment. But that scene it is just a big deal because I had never realized the weight and power of it until I, I ran it back a couple of times. I think Stringer interpreted that diff, in a different way than what Avon actually meant it. And it's a very, very important moment um, for the relationship of those two characters. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it does. And and it reminded me, and we'll get to this later, that in um, the next season, where things really kind of come crashing down on the Barksdale organization, Stringer actually makes a reference to it. He makes a slight reference to this conversation. is Because hmm. I think he... Uh, so this is definitely... Um, that can also be put in the bucket of file this away for later. But I mean, Avon's exact words, it's hard to call them even subtle. He said, push come to shove. I've been fair to him saying that. However, it turns out, I'm not going to feel bad because I have tried to look out for him in, in numerous ways. And given that Avon is able to, you know, he certainly has the switch where he can be cold to, Anybody else in his world can punish them, but he has such a serious soft spot for D'Angelo that the kind of disrespect D'Angelo was showing him, probably he, anybody else would have met their end a long time ago. Just a long based time off, ago. Long time, just based off the, the original fuck up of killing somebody and there being a witness, D'Angelo would not have been around. So uh, the fact that he is kind of continually reaching out to him to try to save him or keep him in line, however you want to see it. And those advances are getting rebuffed. I mean, it says, it says a lot um, yeah. about where Avon is, but I think that statement is like very telling for him to say that. Uh, any other scenes that you, uh, that stood out to you? String, you know, just like Stringer and Donette. Uh, Donette is you know, the most I, you annoying You know, I got character. a whole thing about that. You know I do. You know I wasn't going to let that walk van. Another, <laughs> another, an, another scene that I loved, and I'll turn it over to you, is Stringer in Community College using what he's learning my face right in now. Community College to apply it to the streets because Stringer Bell is an educated man. I know the hate is coming. We're going to get to it. But what are some of your favorite scenes from this episode? And you see you got that A-. minus. <laughs> See, he got that A minus, right? And I bet you that was a part of Stringer that really wanted to challenge him. He's that dude. He's definitely that dude. That you, everybody went to school with that student. Somebody get an A minus, a B minus, and then they want to challenge the teacher. Like, can't you just make it a B? Can't you just give me an A plus? I bet you he really wanted to say that to him. Um, that was me. <laughs> as for five points, nigga, I need five points. That's a big deal. That's I want a, them five points. You, uh, you what I gotta five? do? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> give me my five um so some of the scenes that stood out to me um were one of them was when mcnulty took omar shopping for a suit <laughs> a great scene <laughs> uh i thought that was an undercover very funny scene and when he picked up um a suit that it appeared to be yellow an all yellow suit um i just <laughs> wonder and that just let me know mcnulty had been in baltimore too long Cause that right. was a Malcolm X pre, uh, you know, <laughs> converting to Muslim. D Detroit Zutu. Red, you mean? That was a Detroit D Red. Uh, Detroit, Detroit Red, Red is Red Shorty special. Yeah. yeah, so Detroit Red is Shorty special, 
And uh, he said, he says to Omar, that's a look. Omar was like, no, it's not. <laughs> like, you got me all the way fucked up if you think I'm going to wear something like that. Um, you know, another, uh, I think, you know, really good scene um, was, it, and it kind of, it's, it's just so interesting to see Bodhi and Poot in these roles. So uh, there's some, some altercation in the pit. And Poot is trying to, based off the lessons they learned from D'Angelo and just being older and a little more seasoned in the game, uh, you know, some of the youngins, they decide to beat up a fiend because he had the nerve to actually tell them the truth about their whack-ass product. And he actually didn't even say it. No, he really didn't. He just was like, no, I ain't got no I ain't got no ends. And they was like, he said death grip ain't shit. They're like, dog, chill out. Like, he yeah. actually didn't even say anything to them. That man was trying to <laughs> no, walk to go get a burger. They just would not leave him alone. They're like, you gonna you gonna take this ass whooping, and you know whether you like it or not. So, but the fact that you know Bodie uh, and Poop both have their awakening, them becoming more seasoned, uh, is just a, a interesting moment because those are all those are things they would not have thought if not for D'Angelo. <laughs> right? right. So it, it it kind of is a a little bit of a full circle moment there. Um, Herc. Uh, trying to be uh, her getting an opportunity to do the buys is hilarious. There was right. actually this is this actually is one of the wire episodes that has a lot of both intentional and unintentional comedy. It's and funny. yeah, her got there dressed like he fat Joe and he is just so excited <laughs> that he is able to be on the front lines of this thing because, uh, you know, if, if people remember one of the reasons that McNulty had so much guilt over what happened to Kima, and he he makes that reference. He said black officers um, usually are the ones that have to make the buys because their their credibility will not be questioned. Unfortunately, they're playing to a stereotype, right? I mean, and so they know it's automatic sub- suspicion if white guys, you know, roll up and, and try to buy some drugs and people going to automatically think they cops and they're going to go through more scrutiny. So black officers are constantly putting themselves on the line. And so the fact that Hurt gets the opportunity to get in costume, which looked like, again, a triple fat goose and a... <laughs> Don't forget the prop, though. Don't forget the prop. He had his prop. He had his toothpick. He had the toothpick. Is just you know a, a kind of a, a a bit of a of a hilarious um you know moment um and I, I thought another uh you know really good scene too was when Sabaka is standing tall against Bunk and Beatty when they deliver the the su- subpoenas to the dock workers and he's listing off the president. We're here to Bobby Kennedy, Tricky Dick Nixon, Ronald the Union Buster Reagan, and half a dozen other sons of bitches. Like this ain't nothing new. Like we, we will, we were built for this. And that's one of the few times, even though in body language it's clear that Bunk is pissed and it's clear that he's saying to himself, all right, motherfucker. Okay, let's do this. But there's also a part of him that recognizes like, I might've met my match. This shit ain't going to be easy. And so I thought it was a a good tense moment um, that he was kind of explaining to him like, yo, this is, this is what unions have been through. And it was a sneaky way also for David Simon to kind of educate people a little bit in Ed Burns about the history of unions and how, you know, how much they're accustomed to being under some kind of uh, police scrutiny, if you will. Um, you know, it, it's something I noticed too it, when the, that stood out to me. I mean, it wasn't necessarily a best scene. 
I noticed Simon doesn't use subtitles. And whenever the Greek is actually speaking Greek, he just don't give a fuck. He's just like, we ain't going to subtitle it. It just is what it is. You have to take it in the moment. Yeah. So I'm like, huh. Well, in, the, in real life, sometimes people talk and you don't understand them. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, that's as real life as you can get. Do you know what else I noticed about, speaking of subtitles, I want to address something. Mm. Here in the Lathan's Abram household, there are times where we use the subtitles um, on the show. We Really? Like, I okay. Watch, I, I watch subtitles almost with everything, right? I'm going back and forth from my computer. I'm going back and forth uh, to the television sometimes. Sometimes I'm over in the kitchen over here. You know, I'm not a homeowner like Maserati, Jamel Hill. <laughs> not quite yet. Uh, but uh, like... Um, and sometimes I'm over here. So I use the subtitles. I, I, you know. The Wire subtitles have the N-word on them. Really? With, with a hard E-R. Hard so E-R? That's, so that's anytime. Sometimes the word, the like, <laughs> sometimes the word is said with the hard E-R, normally by the white characters. Okay. But when the black characters say the N-word on the wire, it's also said with a hard ER. Hmm. Here's the thing. There's only one thing worse than hearing the N-word, and that's seeing it. <laughs> right. <laughs> because, look, when you hear the N-word as a black dude, you can differentiate Every single like the usage of it, right? You can differentiate the uh the usage of the N-word in uh West Baltimore and the usage of it in the port is not the same when you're black. It's a whole thing for a different podcast. However, when anytime it's said, it's the ER version from anyone, and you're watching it, you're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it cuts it cuts like a knife. So all I'm saying is HBO or whoever's responsible for that, I'm sure you got some brothers and sisters. Let them go through the show one time and put the proper put the N-word in its proper place. So I don't feel like I'm watching the Amos and Andy version of like, like that's that's all I'm saying. Just clean up the subtitles a little bit. Love the show. Clean up the subtitles. Give us an A every once in a while. Uh, so, you know, that's that's, not, that's Van's request. Like, give us a, give a us an a, a, a little less. Can we get a, a little more A? So I'm not rereading Huckleberry Finn. Like, like just a little bit of A. You know, so right, a little bit of A. I so think. we don't think that we're in the remake of A Time to Kill. I, a I little bit you. of A. So we're not at the Laugh Factory. With Michael Richards. Shout out to him. <laughs> but like, <ugh. laughs> well, uh, I wonder as because it was, even though it, the reference, the N word is said, um, it's usually said in a way that's not gratuitous, like yeah. as a regular flow of conversation, and it's not said a lot in in all these episodes if you think about it. And I wondered, I may have to do this. I may have to go back and count. Um, to see Ooh. how many times it was said in this one, because this is one of the higher ones, because I believe Ziggy uses it three times. Because every yeah, time Ziggy. every time he refers to, che uh, to cheese, he calls him the ER, like straight up. Right. 
you know yeah. i guess if somebody it, stole or not stole took my car and set it on fire r.i.p princess you know that might invoke an er-ish spirit with the way she's acted now i don't endorse it but i don't endorse it but i understand <laughs> as chris rock would say i don't endorse it but I kind of right. understand it. I understand, right. Under, He's under those uh, circumstances. So, okay. So those were the, the scenes that jumped out to both of us. Um, now let's talk about what aged well. It was a lot of really good things in this that aged uh, well. Was it something in particular or some things in particular that struck you? So uh, one thing that I actually don't like age well, mm. and there are a lot of things that age well, but I'm just going to bring up one thing. When inside of the room with Bunk and Beatty, and discussing the dead girls, uh, Sabaka, in order to prove that he cares about the dead girls, says, I got a wife. I got daughters. I got women that I care about. So it's not the lives of those specific women that you actually care about. You care about women because you know women. Fellas, please stop. Please stop. What if you don't have a wife? What if you don't have a daughter? What if you live someplace like what? What if what if you don't have any way to? Then what? Then do you not care about the fourteen girls? I still hear that all the time. Dog, you think I would do something like that? I got a daughter, man. I got a wife, man. Like I get that you have a wife. What about the women that you're not related to? Do you care about their safety and empowerment? It's 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 one of those things. Oh, it's a soapbox, man. Whatever. Like all, all all I'm saying is that immediately when I heard that, I think about what happens every single time you get somebody in a situation. I would never do that. I care too much about my daughters. I care too much about my wife. Just care about. Or or people. for that matter, when they're asked about somebody who's been accused of doing something harmful to a woman, and it all it inevitably comes it's like i got wife i got a daughter blah 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 blah, blah. I, I got never. a sister so some some i would never condone this and then they go on to condone it it's like right. oh okay so despite so, having those women in your life you still are con- con- uh, condoning uh, the harm of women yeah C- care about the safety and empowerment of people whether or not they have penises vaginas or in some cases both Care about the safety and empowerment of people based upon their human right to liberty, freedom, and to breathe the oxygen that everybody else is breathing. It got nothing to do with your wife or your daughter, dog. It's got to do with living in a harmonious society where people have the best type of access to things that are going to make them fulfilled human beings. That's it, bro. Stop. It's not about your connections. It's about, you know, kind of us. Nice to know that toxic masculinity still so in vogue. (laughs) Still so in vogue. Never going out of style. Shit is undefeated. Uh, So along those same lines, uh, because I also had that noted as well, like, oh, look at Frank Zabaka giving us the old daughter, wife, sister speech. Um, (laughs) What also aged incredibly well was when Carver and Kima are in the abandoned house overlooking, uh, I can't remember his name, the white dude who's, you know, selling drugs. And Carver goes, these motherfuckers motherfuckers take take everything. everything, Love that. Love that. Not only is he selling drugs, but he's also using, the, he's using the A, <laughs> though it still sounds kind of like an ER. And he just using right. that A throughout. That is his language. That is, you can't tell him he ain't one probably, right? Yep. <laughs> so, um, 
but it a cultural appropriation never goes well. out of style ages right. incredibly well and i was like wow david simon figured out a way to make a commentary about gentrification using drug dealing i'm here using for drug it. dealers <laughs> mm. i'm absolutely 100% um here for it so um good to know cultural appropriation and also toxic masculinity continuing to age quite well now in terms for me what didn't age well is did you notice when Ziggy and Nikki went to the library and I love how fascinated that Nikki is with oh computers exist like you know he's just it just again shows that despite there is a certain underclass in this country that just is not exposed to certain things and so he says to him oh so you could just type it in and it'll just look it up for you like us, he grew up on the encyclopedias. He knew about the Dewey Decimal, right? But he didn't know right. shit about this computer. Did you notice the search engine? It was MSN. That yeah, did not age well. Age well. Mm. You know, like, you know, almost no search engine aged well. Nope. Google fucked them all. They took Ask the game, Jeeves. Dude. Ask Jeeves. Bye. MSN. Bye. Uh, what else do we have? We have. Well, well, yeah, I'm trying to think of what some of the other search engines. So it was Jeeves. Oh. Uh, Alta was it Navigator? Vista? Navigator was yeah. one? I, I Netscape. Think, I can't remember. Alta Vista was one. I think Alta Vista yeah. was like, they, they, everybody had one. None of them. When Google started coming around, Google destroyed all of them. I Even like, a shout out to you know Yahoo, because they still are relevant. And then they have mm. the news and all of that stuff like that. Yahoo's. I, I go to Yahoo. But like, when you Yahoo something, and then when you Google it, Google really figured out the game, bro. Like, they really did. And see, Google, so if, unlike those other words, like, Google has become also a lexicon in our culture. Like, you just, yeah. you use it, you, Google something. you know, yeah. like, with everything, you know, like, Google that shit. Or people saying in lyrics, Google me. Like, it's, like, yeah. nobody was rapping about putting MSN search in a lyric, right? Yeah. But Google will be in a lyric. So it, yeah. it has, yeah. it's a fixture, it's here to stay, and... Um, as much as I know people will, you know, use like, as you said, Yahoo, other ones, like ain't nobody really fucking with Google and they got Google, Google earth, you know, yeah. Google it like they, they, you can look up people's houses on Google. You can put I, photos. I, I in still it. go look up my old childhood home and, and shed a tear every now and again, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I still go look it up. Uh, and so, and it's, you know, it's crazy about Google earth is until they up until they changed it. I could go look at my dad's house from the time that we lived there. Oh, wow. And I printed the pictures out. So like, remind me of my childhood. So yeah, Google, Google, shout out. I don't know why we just gave them an ad, but shout out to Google. <laughs> uh, they don't need any more money, man. <laughs> uh, was there anything you, you noted that aged the worst? Um, no, I mean, I had the search engine written down, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, once again, the age the worst is always hard for me. But no, I, I had the I had the search engine written down. It's just like it's just funny to watch people use that old technology, and it probably seems so cool then. But like, yeah, like the search engine part was definitely. Yeah, I mean, he might as well these computers that Ziggy has been using. It, it might I'm, I know that shit's on dial up. It's got to be. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so that brings uh, to brings us to uh, always a favorite moment for me. It's the Stringer Bell fuckboy moment. Wow. Now is where I get to. Um, once again, tell you all for the thousandth time that this dude's a fuckboy. You will come on board one day. And 
his relationship with Donetta. Already problematic, right? Already problematic. We've gone through this, right? When they first linked up and it, and as I pointed out, he'd been scoping Donetta from the start. Even when D'Angelo was free, he was on that, right? It's one thing if you just say out of retaliation, retribution, disrespect, if you want to get with Donetta just to get back at D'Angelo and the fact that he has become a problem in your life because he's a problem for the organization. Let's say I could convince myself that that's appropriate, right? This motherfucker trying to straight up replace him, not just hit it and quit it, not just smash and grab, not just the occasional, let me get some Donetta. No, 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 no. He picking up his son, telling him, talk about some, uh, what we going to do about your pops? Yo, this dude, this A, this hard A is trying to be his, trying to be his father somebody else's child like he just trying to he trying to fill the whole role van the whole role you know what he might as well when Donetta gave him the clothes that was D'Angelo's he might as well put them shits on might as well put them on that was gonna be too tight um (laughs) but okay so listen I listen I only got two words for you Russell Wilson okay nobody gets mad no, that ain't, Russell same, Wilson. that ain't the same. I, nobody, that ain't nobody the gets same. Mad. Nobody gets mad when Russell Wilson <laughs> has baby future. Russell Wilson braiding his hair, got to wear him the jersey. I saw baby future doing a cone drill, like with a football, like running around, chopping it up, doing a three cone drill, like 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 hot routing people. Like he is completely. I'm not his gonna let you introduce this orange to com- this apple conversation. He's, man. he's completely his father's son. His father seemingly being Russell Wilson. And everybody applauds it. Everybody goes, oh, it's so great. It's so great. All Stringer is doing is providing a stable male figure for that boy now that his father is gone. And insinuating he about to kill his father in his ear. What you think? I agree. Do well, you? I mean, look, to me, I, I I think, you know, that part's a little problematic. But I think that... Uh, I think, <laughs> oh, just a little problematic. By the way, I'll murder your dad. Then we can I be think a that family. Part's a little, what? I think that, that part's a little problematic. But I'll be honest with you. I applaud Stringer for seeing a young black boy who needs a male role model and stepping up to the plate. And he could have been all Snoop Dogg and Baby Boy walk by like, fuck your fork. But he, that's not what he's doing. He's seen, you remember that from Baby Boy? That's like, I do. That, that's crazy. <laughs> Snoop did that. So, but he could be all like that. But nah, he's embracing the child. I, I, I applaud Stringer for that, man. Shout out to Stringer. Stringer, Russell, Wilson, Bell. <laughs> Stringer, Russell, no, man. Wait, wait. They got the same name. They got the same name. I'm not it's the Russells. Lie, no. It's the Russells. Wait, it's Russell Bell and Russell Wilson. How dare you put disrespect on Russell Wilson's name by even mentioning him in the same sentence? They would both be willing to take care of it. It's what Russell's do. Somewhere right now, Russell Crowe is taking care of somebody else's son. Somewhere right now, this is just how Russell's get down. Somewhere right now, Russell Brand got somebody else's kid driving around with them. Like, bro, shout out to the Russells see, of the world. Be a Russell. Be a Russell. You are conveniently overlooking the detail of that. Russell is also, Russell Stringer Bell is also trying to, he's also doing this as D'Angelo believes that Donetta is still, they're still in a relationship, right? Because mm. 
he's also doing this covertly and sneakily as, as sneakily as a method to try to control D'Angelo in jail and keep him in line by planting information to the baby mama who, when she visits, is like, we got everything taken care of and String gonna do this, String gonna... I ain't never heard her talk so much about String. We should have let D'Angelo further know it was right. some shit amiss. Because she doing a whole lot. How much you talking to String, Donetta? How much? Yeah. And by the way... Her levels of ain't shitness is just really impeccable because oh well, she 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 way up there by the way way up oh there. my god she's way up there because not only is she letting this dude just straight up replace D'Angelo she got the nerve to be cooking for this fool and then she gonna say you gonna see string little Donetta can burn first of all ma'am yeah. don't refer to yourself in the third person and please don't add little to it just just full stop right there full stop. The two of them deserve each other. They do. And they ain't shitting this together. Yep. I, I hope <laughs> they can catch a uh, Seattle Seahawks game together real quick. <laughs> <when they're, whatever. laughs> he gonna mentor this young boy to murder. That's he what he gonna mentor do. Him. Mentor him to be the next one. <laughs> you know um, what? And he the type of dude, too, that he is gonna, uh, he is gonna tear up every photo of D'Angelo. He, that baby ain't gonna even know that he had a daddy before Stringer Bell. That's the type yep. of dude he is. He just, the baby just gonna be walking around like, why am I short? Like, <laughs> like, like, dad, you're like 6'6. Six, six. Like, why? This don't make no sense. Like, why am I short? It don't make, anyway. All right. So, uh, got a little trivia for the people out there. So, if sure. you recall, um, I don't know if it's the last episode, but at least a few episodes ago, you saw that Frank Sabaka has a dartboard in his office that people, you know, commonly throw, they threw some darts at, right? I was thinking about what, who is the picture on the wall? Because when I looked at it, I was like, that picture looks familiar. So I did a little research. And that was, and this was one of those sneaky things to, to work in here. That was Bob Ursay, who, as we know, is. Oh, the guy that moved the Colts. Right. From, from Baltimore, Baltimore to, to Indy in the oh. 60s. I was like, ah, got it. Ah. Very famous. The Colts moved via, I think it was moving vans. The moving truck in the moving, middle moving of the trucks night. Moving trucks in the middle of the night. I think they were Mayflower moving trucks or something like that. Moved them out. Uh, years later, um, Art Modell then moved the Cleveland Browns to Baltimore, thus screwing over the fan base of Cleveland. They eventually got their Browns back. But the Browns became the Ravens and the Baltimore Colts became the Indianapolis Colts. Big, big, huge thing in sports history right there. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of really sneaky good um, sports references in the wire period. Um, another sneaky thing that we both overlooked. Um, this actually happened in season one. And I don't recall exactly what episode it was. Uh, but it was one of the courtroom scenes, and I think it might have been even in the opening scene or the opening episode. Did you notice who the bailiff was in the courtroom? The bailiff would be a man named Chris Partlow. Wow. Played a bailiff. Yes. <laughs> he was an extra in season one. <laughs> hey. Good for him. Good for yes. him. There's a fun fact. Now, it's not actually Chris, you know, right. <laughs> or whatever. He's not playing Chris. He's just right. an extra. But little did you know that we had actually, by the time we get to Chris in season four, we'd actually seen him before in season one because he so played kinda, one of the bailiff. So kind of like a Rick Ross situation, right? I don't think it's a part of the story. Shout out to, shout out to MMG. 
just joking around. Actually, but it would be, that actually it would wasn't be, bad, though, man. It would be interesting to see, you know, Chris Parlow. I was a bailiff, and then I went the wrong way, and now I'm a killer. Whatever. We're going to get to Chris Parlow later, though. It, it was an interesting career trajectory. So those are the bits of trivia. And by the way, thank you to everybody who has continued to tweet both Van and I and Instagram me as well. Um, some good trivia nuggets. If I don't use it, it's not because I didn't see it. It's because I tried to wait until time it to the episode we're going to discuss so that it kind of makes sense. Uh, these were two that I overlooked. So I went back and uh, decided to feed you some knowledge there. So some of these nuggets will be um, well-timed and well-placed. All right, Van, finally, we've come to that moment of truth. Who won the episode? Beatty. Very rarely is it for me that somebody who we do a deep dive on also wins the episode. But I feel like that is true. You know, in a show about evolution, uh, Beatty is the character that evolved the most this particular episode. Um, there were other little nuggets. I love Bubs in this episode trying to steal uh, the uh, <laughs> trying to steal the the barbecue before he gets kind of like noticed by. Big Nolte Sergeant. Um, a lot of characters had a lot of great moments in this episode. but And, and you know what? Me, speaking of that particular scene, um, you know what? I, I, it made me think, uh, or at least make me want to pose the question. Is Bubs actually the smartest person on the show? And the only reason... I think he I, is. Yeah, he's, I the mean, most from, well, he's the most well-versed. He's precisely. And that's what I was thinking. I mean, Freeman is, to me, certainly in that category. But... Wasn't it? It wasn't lost on me that when um, McNulty was on the boat, that Bubs knew more about the boat than he did, and he was yeah. like, "Oh, that's the cleat." And he was like, "What yeah. kind of knot is that?" He's like, "A Baltimore knot." He was like, "What's a Baltimore knot?" So it right. just it just spoke to the fact that Bubs is a really smart person. Smart you know, that's guy. why his schemes tend to work more so than they don't. Right. Um. So yeah, I would say that it was Beatty. Just quick, quick. I'd say in the episode where there's like a lot of characters got a lot of got a, got a lot of rock in this, but I'd say Beatty won. Okay. Um, that's a good choice for uh, she certainly, um, especially because she is able to unearth a detail that becomes a major, um, you know, kind of file this away for later moment is that uh, this 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 whole series or this season rather will be based off um, what they're able to find out about the computer technology, because once she realizes from her ex lover that they do things the computerized way. And even though Sabaka is trying to convince them that. Oh, human hair happens all the time despite these computers. It's inevitably what becomes a key piece in them trying to get some real traction and bringing down, um, you know, Frank Sabaka. Oh, just real quick before I tell you who won the episode, another scene I forgot to bring up. And I'm shocked at you, shocked at you, Van, that you didn't bring this up since you seem to go out of your way to try to find something redeeming about Stringer Bell is when he took what he learned in the classroom and brought it to their the board, the, the board meeting, yeah. right? About training. I didn't bring that up the community Stringer's community college knowledge. Okay, yes, you brought up that part. But when he, yeah. um, when he was with his crew and with the organization, and mm. he is trying to be his own, like he considers himself suddenly four courses, and he a professor too. But that's besides. <laughs> okay, all right. As he, you know, Bodie comes up with the idea of of changing the towers and that kind of thing. Um, but it it was a, a funny moment is when when Bodie propo proposes that idea of just changing the name of the tower so that people think that there's a competition, creating a fake competition or whatever. And Rock says, See, nigga, ain't that what the fuck I just, just said? said? <laughs> and it totally, it totally wasn't what the fuck you just said. I was like, no, you said changing the tops. He talking about changing right. the towers. Those were different the ideas. Yeah, right. Um, 
but the uh but the person uh that i thought speaking of which who uh won this episode um speaking of the drug trade i actually thought it was nikki i thought nikki won this episode because yeah i mean i know it seems like a bit of an odd pick but he uh took the situation with ziggy and i thought he i thought he really proved himself to be the thinker of the Sabaka family. It's really him. Like his, uh, his uncle certainly has his union ways and he has his principles and all that. We know Ziggy's a moron, so he's kind of eliminated from it. But the mastermind is Nikki. And I thought that he yeah. kind of grew into that role in this because he figures out that the Greeks are about to be, or they do run drugs. So there's another criminal enterprise for him. And he knows he needs the money because the, him and his uh, girlfriend need to be able to move into a better living situation. Um, and it potentially uh, becomes a way to bail out Ziggy and his situation with Cheese. And so he is starting to emerge. He started to really emerge as a real leader uh, in this episode as he gets in deeper with the Greeks and starts to understand their business in a way that Frank wouldn't do because he was afraid to find out was there. Ziggy's too incompetent to do because he's fucking uh, Ziggy. But right. Nikki wants to figure it out because he wants to figure out how he can become more valuable and therefore allow them to monetize the situation. So I thought this episode was a real come up for him in terms of being somebody um, that is trying to take their union enterprise to the next level. Because suddenly they getting paid triple for the shit they find. And Frank Zabaka's mm-hmm. fee is going up. A lot of that has to do, do with um, Nikki. It has to do with it's Nikki's. Solid choice. Yeah. Solid choice. So, that's one of the, that's one you, you, you dug that one out, man. I'm fucking with that. Like it's a solid choice. Yeah. Um, I try. Mm-hmm. I try. Um, but <laughs> anyway, that's going to do it for us as we wrap up episode five, uh, the undertow. Uh, thank you guys again for not just the, the support, but also for the, the, the feedback for the interaction. Um, we love that you all are getting into this as much as uh, we are, especially those who have watched the wire three four five times and then you decided to go through a six and go through it with us we definitely appreciate that um but until next time keep listening to us and keep watching the wire peace by the way i'm gonna murder your dad then we could be a family well what the fuck am i involved in who are these people what